This is our favorite game to play together. Osama Darius and his kids love video games. As a game designer, teacher, and father, he's not afraid of hard work. But his first job with a Montreal video game company nearly broke him. I worked about seven days a week, between 14 and 16 hour days. And when would you go home? I would go home uh, when I was ready to collapse, basically. And welcome back to the Footy Dashi podcast. I am here with Lauren. Say hi, Lauren. Hi. And this week we have a special guest. Would special guest like to introduce themselves? Hello. Uh, my name is Masao Kobayashi. I'm a indie producer in Montreal. I work for a studio called Cut to Bits that I co-founded in 2019. And before that, I worked in AAA for 13 years. I also have a podcast where I talk to game devs about not making video games. <laughs> Unlike our podcast where we talk to you video game devs and ourselves about making video games. This is going to be very exciting. So we wanted to bring Masao on because, so you guys are probably a little irritated with just listening to Lauren and I speak on these issues all the time. So we thought it would be a good idea to have a, a third perspective. And already we have been schooled on a lot of things, but we wanted to sort of start off with, okay, so first of all, Marcel, what is your sort of life history in games? Like, how did you arrive at video games? Did you arrive at video games or did you sort of fall in? Like, what's your, what's your background? What's your history? Okay, so I'm, I'm a weirdo in a lot of different ways when it comes to being a North American game developer. I'm, I'm Japanese. I was born and raised in Japan. But um, I was educated in the United States. Um, but I'm sorry. I, I <laughs> actually, I, I, I really enjoyed it. It was my choice too. Like I was a, I was a strange kid and I didn't want to get educated in Japan because I believe that the, their educational system is not good. There's a yeah, lot so of different, right. we can have a whole well, higher, higher, higher education in Japan is not yeah. good for a variety of different reasons. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I went to high school and university in California and I never thought I would make video games because like, that's not a real job. Um, uh, but, uh, when I graduated, um, so I got a political science degree thinking that I want to be a lawyer because I had a bunch of friends that were in law school and they were lawyers. And I was like, ah, I'll, I'll do that. And then I talked to them and they were all miserable. So I was like, oh, maybe I don't want to do that. <laughs> so I had it this degree like that was my useless. Life story. Like, oh. uh, because like nobody cares about a political science degree from a, a mid-tier university. Um, and uh, yeah, the only marketable skill I had was translation and interpreting which I used to volunteer at anime conventions, uh, doing panels and interviews. Cool. Uh, well, translating and interpreting for panels and interviews. And so, yeah, I applied to a, a Craig, Craigslist post and got a job <laughs> in, uh, <laughs> in video games. No, no, uh, I, I, I feel that. As, those... a, as a translator. 
those those early heady days, especially in like all forms of localization, it was very like seat of your pants, like who you knew. It's like, oh, hey, you can speak Japanese. Sure. You're a translator now. Well, even now, like it's very hard to find a Japanese English translator that is, you know, that can work professionally, that is nerd adjacent. Yeah. But not weird about it. <laughs> I could see the look on your face just struggling with how to say this. I was going to like say fluent. Like Well, fluent as well. Yeah. yeah. I'm yeah. I'm completely well. fluent. I mean, Japanese is my first language. Uh English is my second language. So um yeah, uh anyway, I was kind of an unusual person to start and I also started in a weird part of video games. I was in third-party publishing working with Japanese developer. Uh so I worked at an American company that took Japanese games and localized and sold it, sold it to uh, the Western market. So the in-house producers didn't speak Japanese and the Japanese developers generally didn't speak very good English. So I was the middle person to like kind of facilitate the communication, translate emails, uh, interpret it in the meetings, and then sometimes even translate uh, bugs. Um, yeah, so that's what I did. And that's kind of where I started. And you know, video games, like, as soon as you get your foot in the door, like, you do move around, especially if you're more in the kind of the, you know, like, managey, coordinatory type person. They kind of, you can bounce around from different departments. And I uh, I started working in production in 2006, um, pretty much immediately. Like, uh, I said, about six months into into it, I, I transitioned into production from publishing. <laughs> And yeah, I did a bunch of different stuff. I, I worked in marketing. Uh, I did social media for a long time. And uh, but mostly at this point, majority of my career has been in production management. And when so you managing started, different teams. Yeah. When you started in the third party publishing house, was that something that you did that got you into AAA? Or was that actually like a AAA studio? Because I'm not too familiar with third party publishing back in that. Um, it was. Well, OK, so. Um, I'm just going to come out and say it because like if you look me up like it's like I've only worked for one company or two companies now. I worked for Ubisoft from 2006 to 2019. And then right. and then I co-founded a studio with my friends. So like I started in AAA. Um although uh yeah, I started in AAA and that's kind of where I was. Uh I just went from their publishing department to oh to their to their production, production team department. in Montreal yeah so yeah but you also started in a space within AAA that is analogous to a lot of other media as well which is sort of like that middleman territory because it's a similar thing that you see in comics and it's a similar thing that you see in animation where a lot of the like the localizer studios that exist in North America don't really have any like direct contact or direct access to like the Japanese studios or the Japanese publishers that they would be working mm -hmm. with. And so like, this is a common thing that you see where you have to have somebody who not just translates in like, you know, the literal sense that we think of it, but also sort of like translates business practices, mm -hmm. translates like, Oh yeah. yeah. Like things work very differently in terms of game development in North America and Japan still. So yeah, you do need somebody to kind of come in and be like, this is what our expectations are much more so than just within, um, Western developers. So anyway, long story short, I'm I'm a Japanese person working in North American video games uh, for a non-Japanese company, and uh, yeah, I work not in localization. So like I'm like one of two that I know of, 
that yeah, does that. That's highly unusual. And that's that's like, and I I pretty much follow anybody on Twitter that's that either is Japanese or a Japanese American, Japanese Canadian that works in the games industry. So, and I also even have a Discord for Japanese people who work in North America in video games. So, I as far as I know, <laughs> there's uh, I'm I'm the only one working. Uh, well, one of two that is working in the in the producer production management space that's Japanese in North America. I think this is just really fascinating to me because when I first got into games, a lot of my friends were like, oh, we have to go make the new Final Fantasy. How do we get over to Square Enix? How do we work Square Enix adjacent? And when I finally started work at Crystal Dynamics, they were like, oh man, you're one step closer to working on Final Fantasy. And I was like, that's not how the game industry works. And also, I you're, you're still super far. Like, I'm I so mean, far. <laughs> corporate wise, yes, but like... Corporate-wise, I was like, I guess I'm closer because we're owned by Square Enix. But actually, I am very far removed from Final Fantasy. Yeah. I well, would you, have to do you, a lot of You never really worked for Square Enix. You worked for no, I, Yeah. Which well, are no, completely actually, separate companies, right? Well, like, that's interesting. So the story of Crystal is I actually did work for Crystal when they were owned by Square Enix. Ah, I did okay. not work for Crystal when they were owned by but, Eidos. But did they get like kind of moved under the, the Eidos they moved, umbrella? They were, and then okay. they were removed. So when Square okay. Enix bought Eidos and IO, they removed Crystal from Eidos and created it as, as a separate entity to be able to manage them as two separate companies. Otherwise, they would have had to managed idos who managed crystal and that was too oh, okay. much that was too much bureaucracy for the japanese company square enix because they were <laughs> yeah I... <laughs> sorry I wait wait wait, wait. That. that's too much bureaucracy <laughs> it's too like, much for that's them. just like that's like bureaucracy adjacent though <laughs> like, I, don't I know it was bureaucracy adjacent. i think that gave too it's... much authority to idos and they didn't think... want that. Okay, i'm pretty sure that's what very, it was yeah they're like no no you, we we own you, like you don't own anything. <laughs> yes, this is honestly that's exactly what it was. But I will say that when I worked there, there were just when I started at Crystal because it was during that kind of transitional phase. That was when they were finally really breaking away from Idos because the servers for Crystal were still located in Idos Montreal, and we switched over all of our emails to finally not say like Crystal Okay. Or whatever, whatever it was, basically. So, so I actually did not work for Idos, though I know great <laughs> people over there, and they're going, they're doing an amazing game now. So I'm super excited to see their stuff. Um, okay. But yeah, but it was actually under Square, and so I will say that's kind of the misconception, right? Is you think that you work at one AAA industry or one company that might be work like adjacent to another company or like a parent company, but it's not. It's never the case. And so I, I think, think that I think it depends though. Like there are companies where that is kind of more the case. Well, it would also um, depend. Like, yeah, yeah, it depends. Like on the culture Ubisoft has like individual studios that they purchase, and then with as soon as you're in the Ubisoft like nebula, like you're now part of the Ubisoft network, and I guess, like mm, there's mm. more like 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 for example, if you look at like you know massive. Um, in in Sweden, like they have a ton of like resource that goes back and forth between there and like other studios. Oh, Even though they were they were a completely separate studio originally, like I don't know, but, we'll see. And they're managed as an internal internal studio, and then so yeah. I, guess... I mean, I know a lot of people who are over at Massive, and they used to work at Montreal. So no, that's awesome. And then actually. I know people who were from Mon uh, go from Massive to Montreal as well. So like 
I guess we'll see. This is the first time I've worked under a company that has more of that umbrella structure versus Square okay. very much has its ownership potential for every studio that it directly owns. And then Square does a lot of outsourcing. So yeah. I'm used to a lot of sister studio or outsource studios that you communicate with that are within the Square network. But outsource studios have a different status under the Square bureaucratic model. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, the Japanese are very, like, like, historically, they already have this, like, oyagaisha, kogaisha, like, which is parent company, child company relationship. And, like, if you work for the parent company, you are automatically more important than someone who works for a child company. Yeah. Like, inherently. I mean, they they have this expression Mm -hmm. called, like, sasen, which is, like, to be, like, I don't know sent like the to the wolves child? or whatever like <laughs> no it's like it's it's when like you get assigned like japanese companies corporations traditionally are pretty crazy when it comes to like assignments like yeah. basically like every in april every year you could be assigned to a a department that has nothing to do with your experience and you just have to take it because or like be completely relocated and you just have to say yes because you're a salary man and that's how it works um like i know like like i know someone who was an accountant like they they got like they studied to be an accountant they you know like they they had their like certifications and then one year like the company just took them out of their accounting department and put them in a like a like operational department and she's like but i'm but i'm an accountant i'm confused well yeah if you're a station that's usually the case and also it's true for public employees as well so uh, my wife taught in um, an elementary, not an elementary, a high school, a public school in Japan. And the thing is, like, they don't let you stay at a school for any longer than a couple of years. Like, it's it's abnormal for a public school teacher to be at one school for longer than five years. You're usually shifted around constantly, typically within the prefecture or within Tokyo if you live in the metropolitan area. But yeah, no, it's it's just a common thing. It's like you get shifted around and it's it's the norm like no one i don't, I don't know like people are it, it upsets people but you just kind of accept it for what it is <laughs> so all of that to say like yeah i totally understand that why square enix is like you know you work for this company and you don't work for square enix i guess that like, under you know, no that makes a lot more sense with like the amount of secret crystallites that are in the bay area i'm always incredibly I'm just always bewildered and shocked. I feel like everyone's worked for Crystal for like two or three years out of their career. But after that, they always move on. And this never is seen as a retention problem in the games industry. And like I'm hearing the history about right, Square Enix as a company or Japan, right, as like its corporate policies are in general. But now I'm even more curious, like has that actually influenced somehow, right, the games industry is large? Like did developers or corporate entities go over to Japan and study those I don't types think of policies and bring so. them back? I think retention issues within the games industry is pretty organic and it's not necessarily that. And on top of it, like generally, like most relocations by game developers are either like they choose to move, move to work for another studio or, you know, or like layoffs or studio closures. Like I don't, I don't know of anyone who's been reassigned to another studio or like in another country or another city that I know of. I have a couple like, of cases that I like, can't really I, talk I about, people, but I, I, I am who, aware who, who get of offered those. positions, but like, yeah, but are they offered positions or are they? <laughs> well, when you get, I, senior, I guess what I'll say well, is okay, the I... problem is when you get senior enough or you have like specific enough of a job, like you become less like, interchangeable right so like 
like if you're like for example level designer and like you work for a studio that has like 20 level designers the chances are that somebody points you and say you you alone need to work at another studio because like you know or like the idea that that person would run out of like a like a position opportunity is kind of lower compared to like if you're the level design director and there's only one level design director at the studio like you either have this job or you don't have this job yeah so like i i see a lot of like more senior people just having to basically or people who want to get promoted like moving around because like you know you get to a point where like somebody has to die or leave for no, that position ceiling... to be vacated yeah and especially true with the ceiling being so high that you can get hired as a senior or hired as an expert, but that is the ceiling. Like once there is a lead established in front of you, or maybe you were hired and there was already a lead or there's already a director. I mean, short of them leaving, right? Yeah. And them making you their successor, the ceiling is already there. You're going to have to move, yeah. right? Or start your own company. So I think that's that's more of the, I think the that drives a lot of the relocation. I think majority, I'm obviously there's exception to everything. Like I was actually proposed to move to Montreal by the company. They didn't tell me I had to, but like I did. Like I worked for Ubisoft San Francisco originally. Yeah, but I think that's kind of what Lauren was getting at earlier. Like how how much pressure did you feel to to make that move, or was there just no zero? Pressure? Actually, oh, okay. Yeah, um, my oh, old department nice. was like my old department was like <laughs> you can stay here, but like you'd be crazy not to take this opportunity. But like you know, yeah. So it's... don't be crazy. I mean, well, I've no, like they, they were they weren't. I mean, they, they well, as soon as I left, I had to be replaced. So they were like. I mean, if you don't want to leave, that's cool with us too. Like that's that's basically the. I think what, I what am aware of a very just specific exception that I'm not going to detail at all on the air and on the record. <laughs> but knowing that I am Again, privy to this exception is yeah, just crazy to me. Yeah, like, why oh, do yeah. I have to? It's funny though. Why do I go through these like things where I'm like, oh, I wonder if this is like this specific connection? Oh no, that's very much an exception. And I'm like, gosh darn it! Like, okay. I mean, you know, I totally... I say this and I say this, and the thing is, like, I I talk like I know what I'm talking about because like. I've been around because you know what you're talking about. You said, well, because you know what you're talking about. No, you have been in the industry. Yeah. But the problem is like my experience is extremely specific. So Montreal is like a weird place for video games. Uh, We'll talk about that. Talk about that then. Yeah. Yeah. So there's like roughly, I think, okay. So 13,000 people make video games in the province of Quebec. 90% of that uh, is in the Montreal area. So there's 12,000-ish people that work in, uh, work in games in a, uh, in a city that has maybe about 6 million people, including like the metro area. This is the largest concentration of video game development, as far as I can, I can tell, in the world. Um, also, like, uh, because of like, tax laws and like, the, the incentive, government incentives, pretty much there's been minimal layoffs. Like, I, I can tell you two major layoffs that happened in, or maybe three major layoffs that happened in 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 the Montreal game dev scene in the entire time I've been around, which is ridiculous. Unheard of, yeah. Yeah, in terms of like... I mean, compared to the Bay Area, that... Yeah. <laughs> Where there's a like, layoff EA, every minute. <laughs> EA did two. Um, because like they had like kind of like EA reorganized the studio twice. Because originally, like, it was a different studio. Now it's uh, Motive and then before. Anyway, so EA had a couple of those. And also, um, uh, THQ had a pretty big studio that went down. Like, it wasn't really a layoff. It was more a studio closure. 
pretty much everybody else is still around um, and has not really experienced major layoffs. Like, like there have been small layoffs, like in the tens of people. But generally speaking, and people generally, and especially in the Montreal AAA scene, people don't really leave the industry because there's always stuff to do. You know, like, uh, I was talking to somebody about this because I was like, you know, there's this, like, um, generally accepted fact that people burn out of games industry within, like, five to eight years. And I was yep. like, I that seems really weird to me because everybody I know have been making video games for 10 years because, well, like... Here it's but again Montreal is pretty weird like that and it's specifically Montreal AAA not Montreal uh, indie and not Montreal mobile because that's that's a separate like sector and significantly less stable and yeah but there's generally more work than there are like there's more positions than there are people to fill it so if you want to stay in the games industry people in Montreal generally the only people who leave are people who want to leave. Like, there are not a lot of people who are like, well, I don't want to move across the country and uh, my studio closed kind of situation. So if I you guess hear that, that makes me... Yeah. So if no, you hear that ahead, people Alice. like brush up on your Quebecois and move to Montreal because you get a lot more stability than you'll get here in the US. Sorry, Lauren, that, I interrupted you. No, I that's exactly what I was, I was going to say. Like, that's pretty much exactly what I was going to say. You can just like cut my fluff there <laughs> i'm sorry we're not talking about making video games at all like i just we're, well here's we're the thing I mean, about we, like corporate japanese corporate governance no but this and, is like, interesting but this is interesting about montreal game dev this season. is important too though like this, here's the thing like something that i harp on constantly especially in you know sort of like the more academic scholarly space is that a not not a lot enough not bleh, not enough people talk about the ways in which like production and sort of like the structure of production affects all of these media commodities that that we as scholars pontificate about like that's just it's not really something that's often discussed like even in you know a field like comic studies where you know production methods is sort of a large force in determining like editorial decisions that get made people just kind of set it aside and you know read comics and like comic book production as if it were analogous to say you know literature I mean, but even literature has its own systems of production, and it's far more common for people saying like communication studies to talk about those things than manga is pretty hands on though. Like editorial departments in manga really drive what yeah. they want to see. So, well, like yeah, Shonen Jump, like, well, okay, yeah, that also depends on the company there. That also depends on the the company in question because yeah, you know, like Shueisha, mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, Shonen Jump also is itself almost a genre now. Like, even though it's you know yeah, Shonen, I agree. But the thing is, like, you know, they yeah, have... Their, even their in the Japanese, yeah. I think, see that jump jump manga is a thing. Like, yeah. And sometimes there are jump mangas that don't run on jump. Yeah, you know, definitely. Like, I mean, you basically... Like magazine, just... <laughs> magazine and Sunday sometimes have things that seem more like Shonen Jump stuff. But well, I yeah. definitely yeah. wanted to talk about this because I wanted to talk about kind of what is it like working in the games industry from your perspective anyway on this. And while that was going to be like the last point, I liked it being the second point because it's kind of like something that... You know, to Nicholas's point with we don't talk about the production cost of games, when we talk about burnout, a lot of it comes from the North American and honestly, specifically the West Coast, I think, Californian developer, where you're kind of surrounded in this environment where it's really beautiful, it's mild all the time, you have no excuse to not be working at your best. It's not that it snowed right 10 feet or 20 feet out <laughs> your window, right? There's a beach right there. Why aren't you just happily making a video game and then going to the beach? 
And especially like in San Francisco, where it's not like swelteringly hot, yeah. like in LA. Maybe we're not like we don't have a lot of beaches and our beaches are like grayer, but like, oh, it's grayer and mild. So why aren't you inside just happily making games, <laughs> staring longingly out the window? I mean, that was one of my big selling points or not my big selling points. But when I was moving over here, the recruiters were like Redwood City's climate best by com- like government test. Like you're going <laughs> to always have great weather. I am not kidding. And I was I mean, like, wow. It, it, I, I mean, I went from San Francisco to Montreal, so I agree. Montreal, like San Francisco has better, better Yes, weather. San Francisco <laughs> has great weather. But I think it's something where when you have this, like, perception, I think, in modern media, right, that the West Coast is very laid back. It's very chill. Everyone's fine. It's going to be okay. But then in game development, it's very different. It is very intense, especially in AAA over here, where, well, at least on the development side yeah. of it. Right. Oh, for sure. And there's a lot of like labor laws that goes into it as well. Like California's at work, uh, you know, uh, uh, it's an at will state. state. Yeah, yep. at will yeah. labor state. So, which means that, like, they can fire you today for no reason. Please don't well, fire th- me today. No, just, <laughs> like, yes, that's they also can. true most of the U.S. Though, like, it's um, mostly the truth. Yeah. Well, Quebec, you can't do that. Like, it's pretty hard to hit fire people in Quebec for. I mean, unless you did something. Um, then you they they can fire you, but uh, yeah, like if they want to fire you on the basis of incompetence, uh, basically they have to like you have to have a first you have a, have a meeting saying like you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing, and then have a, a plan in which they 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 set up saying like okay, well we're going to give you this kind of training or we're going to have this program we're going to make a program for you to be able to like meet our expectations and then you have to observe them for three months and then have all this documentation and then fire them after like a specific period of time otherwise like that's considered a a unlawful dismissal masal we have that in california as well there are a lot of californian companies that like give you a professional development plan known as the pdp because americans love their acronyms yeah and after three months they're like oh you're not doing so well and then three months later they're they can just come back and be like well, we wanted you to improve on these axes, but, but you didn't. But you didn't. But then, oh yeah. I'm, but I'm, then you can always come back and go. Well, I don't know how because you didn't give me any feedback until three months ago. And they're like, "Shh, don't worry about that. Now, now we can fire you legally." <laughs> it's like, no, 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 no. We need regular checkups. Oh, this was your regular checkup, and now we're firing you. Well, I think you, the two of you are talking about two different things. Speaking purely from a third-person perspective, listening to what you're saying, what Masao was talking about is actually like working with your employees and actually trying to like train them and or like build them up into the kind of person that you need to be Lauren what you're talking about is essentially just like finding a legal justification like that's just covering their ass I mean it is the American versus the North American thing I guess but then then again they just don't need to at all right like basically they could just come in and say like no they could they could yeah like it's really just not working out for us which is oh, it's just not a fit. dagger to the heart. Like we we right. feel like our culture is just not working well for you, and we want you. It worked to for the first ten you. years, but yeah. like now, like you know, <laughs> you've gotten a little older. too excited about feminism, and uh... <laughs> a little too excited about feminism in the Bay Area. Just a little too progressive. We just need you to tone so, down. We actually started reading your social media posts, and now we realize that we're in different places. <laughs> Honestly, that not is you, it's me. It's not you, you know. it's me. 
you know, you're a real thought leader and we really do think that you'll change the industry, but just not here. Here. Oh, and by the way, security (laughs) will be escorting you out. (laughs) No, you do not get to take any personal files off of your desk. Uh, Oh, this is hilarious. Game Dev Discord gone all the way into into making fun of the industry. I'm really happy to hear that, though, about Montreal. I'm really happy to hear that people there genuinely stay in the AAA industry and that that's the norm versus over here where I'd have seen a lot of friends leave for one or two or three years, go to the, the corporate giants and then maybe come back. But it's just, it's almost like you come back and you see someone from experiencing this very traumatic experience that they've had, which is why they left. And then they come back. And then to watch someone go through those creative struggles now having come back into the industry, that's like, it's becoming an experience for me that I just, I'm in the thick of it. So I can't really talk about it, right? Because I'm kind of experiencing it. Not like personally. I mean, I am personally experiencing it, but it's more like other people are coming to me with like creative having been out of the industry for a while. And so they've been in the industry for say 13, 14 years, but you know, two or three of those years was spent outside of the industry, right? Like they're so really, they're like, well, I only really have seven or 10 years of experience, even though they've worked at a job similar to what they've done in game development for say 13 or 14. So now there's, I think there's a lot of like returners who left from burnout coming back to AAA, but also it's about how do we keep developers that are good at their jobs, especially like entry level, right? From then burning out in two or three years, because I've seen a lot of people come to games at entry level. I mean, they, and then leave. They do, and I don't want to paint this place as like some kind of like paradise. Like, there's no, Montreal is a, a paradise. Of, yeah, obviously, no, like there, there's a snow reason. Paradise. Like, there is definitely a, a reason uh, Montreal was in the gaming discourse a lot last year for shitty toxic behavior. Oh, I don't know and what you're talking I've about. Personally, though. seen I've personally seen quite a bit as well. So, this is the other thing too, like. I know a lot of those people. Like I've met a lot of those people and I've I've worked with a lot of those people. So it's just so surreal to be like, oh, finally something's gonna happen. Like that's that's really weird because everybody knew that these people were awful. But um yeah, I don't know where I was going with this. Oh yeah, no, people still do burn out. And I'm not saying that like people don't quit the industry for like people do quit the industry for sure, for personal reasons and for burnout and for harassment and all the terrible things. I'm just saying like there's less structural things that kind of like destabilize people's careers. Well, so I have a, I have a question then, something a little bit more specific. Since you worked both here and there, so to speak, what is your sense of sort of just the like the work culture? Like, is so? I mean, it seems like almost on cue, at least once a year, sometimes every six months, somebody posts something about like how absolutely atrocious like crunch is, or even not crunch, but just like you know sexual harassment. Or it, it seems to be this like constant cycle of like, oh, here it is the same story again. Oh, and now no one's going to do anything about it, so that way we can hear the same story like once again, you know, in six months to to a year. So, do you have a sense that like? in Montreal, like that there is a, a different say, not necessarily like work culture, but that the approach to labor because of the labor laws, because of like the things that are genuinely different between Canada and the United States, that that is less or more or the same. What's just your um, general, it's generally accepted that there's less crunch in Montreal than other places. Um, 
And I think it's because a lot of people have already gone through it. Like when I was, when I started off, crunch was pretty much no, the norm everywhere. Yeah. Um, and then everybody's gotten older and they have kids and, or at least the people who are, you know, uh, in the senior ranks have gone through it and have kids and they realize that they, it's probably not realistic to maintain that kind of thing in the long term. Also, like, uh, it's a retention issue. Like, pretty much anybody here can be like, you know what? I don't want to work here anymore. And I'm just going to go across the street. So, well, I think that's an important really point. Nothing, yeah. and, and chances are it's actually better for your career. Like, if you want to get paid more, what you want to do is go work for somewhere else. So, um, I mean, it's true outside the games industry as well. But like, yeah. generally speaking, like getting promoted and getting uh, getting paid more, it, you're you're better off if you bounce around every few years. Um, so I think that's part of the issue. Uh, but like, yeah, I think generally work life balance here is better than like what I hear other places. But then again, it's an older like video game hotspot as well. Like, I mean, Ubisoft Montreal, I think, twenty five years this year. Yeah. And, you know, EA's been here for, I mean, EA's been here longer than I have. Uh, IDOS is considered one of the newer ones <laughs> at like, what, yeah. 10, 10 years? Yeah, definitely. 10, 10 you know, 12. So it could honestly even be 20 at this rate. I actually think not Montreal, like, though. IDOS, oh, IDOS, not IDOS Montreal, yeah, but IDOS, IDOS Interactive. Montreal, yeah. IDOS Interactive is, yeah, it's is is old. old. Yeah. Well, so old for a game company, I guess I should say. So, and, you know, I think you get like one. And it's like EA used to be like a crunch fest and then they had really bad press on it. And then as a, as a whole, I believe that they're pretty good about that now, I think. Uh, so, yeah, like I think it really like and I generally studios don't go back to being a crunch fest after they get out of it, I think. Yeah. So. Well, yeah, because if you yeah. see if you see the better are, thing, and you also this this is not based on any kind of statistical. <laughs> I am not. No, I'm, this is I all should not be. This is this is yeah. like personal perspective, anecdotal nonsense. So please don't uh, take this too much to heart. But uh, no, this that's, has been that's great. That's the vibe. Hear. That's the vibe I get. All right, we want to thank Masao for joining us this week. Um, you can follow him on Twitter at Mega Masao, I believe that's his twitter handle don't correct me if i'm wrong um you can follow the pod um at footy pod also on twitter you can follow lauren at the lauren ash on twitter and instagram and i have a new twitter handle at academicality we have a website now footy pod.com we're on twitch we're on youtube we're on we're on all the things so come follow us uh so you can get more of this you know, in a couple of weeks when there's another free episode. But we want to thank you all for joining us, and we hope to see you again next time. Bye.